0: Good evening, everyone. We want to welcome you to the broadcast of the July meeting of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. We're very thankful that you've been able to join us. We want you to know that we're encouraged and uh, that you're watching the broadcast this evening. And it is our prayer that every part of this broadcast, but especially the message, uh, the preaching of God's Word, will be a blessing to you. The opening hymn for the service this evening is, My times are in thy hands, my God, I wish them there. No better place for any of us to be than in the hands of our God. The words, remember, will come up on the screen, and we encourage you to to join in uh, the singing, to join in uh, the, the worship of the Lord in this opening praise. The Lord's face together in prayer. We want to pray for the Lord's blessing uh, to be upon the meeting. Pray the Lord will bless and use the broadcast. We pray the Lord will give us a profitable time around his word, give help to his servant, and we pray that He'll teach us uh, today great things uh, from His Word. So let's just seek His face together. Father, we bow in thy presence. Thank you for the privilege that we have. What a privilege it is to carry everything uh, to God in prayer. I want us, ask, Father, will know your presence. We pray that we'll be conscious of your presence from the outset of the meeting today. Remember, Father, all that are listening, all that are watching this broadcast in various places across the land and in various nations across the world, we pray that each one of them uh, will know the Lord's presence, the Lord drawing near, and we pray, Father, that you'll unite us uh, together around uh, the word of the Lord today. We want to pray that uh, each one will hear your voice, that each one will know the Lord ministering to them. We give thee praise, Father, uh, for your many blessings to us. We remember that all we have, your hand is provided. You're the one that gives us life and breath and all things freely to enjoy. We bow before thee today to give thee praise, to bring to thee the worship of our hearts. We worship thee as our maker, as our creator, and as our sustainer. You're the one who has made all things. Without thee was not anything made uh, that was made. And, Lord, we thank you for blessing us, providing for us uh, every day, even in the midst of these very trying and difficult times in which we live. We think, Father, of the the financial pressures that are brought to bear upon uh, homes and families across the land. And yet, Lord, we're able to testify of your goodness, of your bounty, of giving us every day our daily bread, of supplying our every need according to your riches in glory. So we do, Father, give to thee the deepest praise, thanksgiving of our hearts. We look to thee day by day uh, for every provision, Lord, we want to thank you for how you have blessed us uh, spiritually with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We rejoice that we know Christ. We know there's no greater blessing in this world and in this life than to know Christ as our Savior. And Lord, in the midst of this dark day in which we're found, keep us near to Christ, keep us near the cross. We remember your servant Enoch, the dark and ungodly days in which he lived in it you, you, you kept your hand upon him. He remained faithful in his testimony for Christ. We remember that he kept that consistent walk with God. What a challenge. What an example his life is to us. So, Father, we would pray that you'll help us uh, to follow in his footsteps. We know that we need your help. We pray for your grace. We acknowledge freely that without thee we can do nothing. We want to give this broadcast uh, today into your hands. Thank you for everyone that has a part in the producing of this broadcast. And Lord, we pray that you'll use it as you've done in the past. We thank you for the many that have been blessed and profited uh, through these broadcasts, especially over the two years of the coronavirus pandemic. And Lord, we ask thee to put your hand very clearly upon the broadcast uh, today. Use it to your glory. Remember the Reverend Foster especially as he will open up the Word of God. We pray that he will know liberty from on high. We pray that you'll use him as an instrument in your hand. We thank you for the understanding you've given to him of the prophetic Scriptures, the blessing that his ministry has been. And, Lord, we pray that you'll use him again today. We pray that you'll give us light from heaven. We ask you to show us great and wondrous things from out of thy law. We pray that this broadcast today will be used uh, to lead uh, many of your people into a clearer understanding of the truth of God, especially with regard to the, the great subject, that fundamental doctrine of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the blessed hope that we have that the Savior is coming again. And Lord, our prayer would be that we'll not be ashamed at his coming. We want to pray, Father, that you'll keep your hand upon our lives and help us, Father, to maintain Uh, that clear testimony, that holy life, that holy walk uh, with our God. Remember, Father, uh, all the ministry of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. We thank you for it. We praise thee for preserving the work, for your provision for it, your bountiful provision. Remember the literature. We thank you for the interest in the literature. We pray that you'll use it. We pray there'll be a greater interest in the literature. We thank you for the, the committee. We pray that you'll guide the committee in every decision that they make, guide the committee in the the publications uh, that are printed. We pray that the committee will be encouraged, that their prayers will be answered. We remember our trustees as well. Lord, bless them in their responsibilities, give to them the help that is needed. And we ask you especially to remember our secretary, Mr. Toms. Keep your hand upon her, brother. Thank you for the health that he continues to enjoy. We praise thee for his faithfulness and a zeal uh, for the Lord and the things of God. Especially, Father, we thank you for his fervency and the work of the Sovereign Grace Advent testimony. Continue to preserve our brother and our sister, his dear wife as well, in health and strength, even in these days. And, Lord, we want to pray that you'll give them much fruit. Your Word assures us uh, that we can bear fruit even in old age. And we ask thee, Father, to fulfill that uh, for your servants, even at this time. So, answer these our cries and our prayers as we commit our way to thee, asking just you'll come and be our guide, guide especially in every word, Father, that's spoken. We we confess our need. We're very conscious, uh, Father, of our own weakness and inability, and we cry for the help of God. We pray, Father, give utterance uh, today, and we ask thee just to put your hand of blessing very clearly uh, upon the meeting and upon the broadcast. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just at this stage of the service, we want to make the necessary announcements. Again, we take a moment on behalf of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony uh, to thank all that are listening uh, to the broadcast. In recent months, uh, some of the meetings have been taking place again in the New Life Presbyterian Church, uh, Salisbury Road in London. Uh, We're thankful for that but circumstances have necessitated that this month uh, the service goes out again as a broadcast. Uh, We're glad of that. It means that uh, some other folk who have been listening faithfully to these uh, meetings and broadcasts over the years of the pandemic are able to join with us again. Uh, So we're we're glad that uh, you're able to hear uh, the service and hear the Word of God. Continue to pray uh, for these meetings, Uh, month by month, and pray that the committee will know guidance in the planning and arranging of all of these services. Just to mention to you some publications. Remember, it's a major part of the ministry of the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony. Uh, The latest edition of the Watching and Waiting magazine is available. This is the edition for July to September of 2022. We commend it to you. It contains uh, an article... Uh, on the subject, Is Russia in the Prophetic Scriptures? Some of you will remember that I made some remarks upon that uh, back in one of the broadcasts earlier in the year. That has been uh, amended and added to a little and included in this edition of uh, the magazine. And there's also some of Mr. B.W. Newton's thoughts uh, on Russia, Russia's place uh, in Bible prophecy that's included uh, in uh, the magazine. Those thoughts are taken from chapter 3 of of his book, uh, The the Prospects of the Ten uh, Kingdoms. So, we do commend that to you. They're very, very relevant uh, for the days, the times in which we're found. There is a lot of confusion uh, on the subject of Russia, and if at all Russia is included in the prophetic part of the Word of God. So, we do commend the magazine as a whole uh, to you. Remember just that there's some special offers uh, that are being made at this time. Uh, think of the booklets, uh, Israel and the Nations, The Hope of Christ's Second Coming, uh, the, the Champion for the Truth, and then also 1,000 Bible uh, Questions. Those books are five pounds each, or there's a special offer that you can have uh, four of them, any four of them, uh, for 15 uh, pounds. So We want to remind you, just of that special offer that has been made uh, for those publications at this time. Remember the bound volume of Watching and Waiting. This is number 29. covers the years uh, 2017 to 2020. It's priced nine pounds. Or remember that, again, there's an offer, any three of the bound volumes for 20 pounds. Keep in mind also that we have republished uh, Dr. Adolf Safar's Uh, commentary on uh, the book of Hebrews. It's 18 pounds, uh, but there is a special offer uh, for those who are involved in the Lord's work for ministers and theological students. There's a little leaflet that you can obtain that can be sent to you as well if you'd like to distribute that uh, amongst others uh, of your family and uh, your fellowship. Remember, too, the booklet, Where is Europe Heading?, again, very relevant to the days in which we're found. Uh, there's so much talk about Europe. There's so much talk about Britain's place uh, within Europe, uh, still continuing, uh, very prominent in the news. This is pound fifty. or you're going to have five copies for £5, or 20 copies for uh, £15. I want to remind you as well of Dr. Uh, William de Beers' uh, two-volume uh, commentary on uh, the Psalms cost 28 pounds. Uh, the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony Committee was very happy to be able to republish this a few years ago. It is very profitable, very helpful as far as understanding the, fr- the, the prophetic part of the Psalms. And keep in mind that much of what the Psalms says has a prophetic message and is of a prophetic nature. So we do want to commend uh, Dr. De DeBeer's Uh, commentary uh, to you. Uh, Those can be obtained uh, from uh, our secretary. All of the publications can be obtained from uh, the secretary. Let me just remind you there's no meeting in the month of August uh, because of the holiday month. The next meeting or meetings is the autumn conference. That will be on Friday the 23rd of September. uh, Between four or the two times for the meetings is four o'clock in the afternoon, and seven o'clock in the evening. The preacher at the afternoon service at four uh, will be the Reverend Ivan Foster. Mr. Foster's subject at the afternoon meeting will be, When will the seven plagues be poured out upon uh, the earth? And then the meeting in the evening at seven, uh, the preacher will be uh, Pastor Martin Humphrey, and Mr. Humphrey will be taking up the subject of, When will the city of Babylon Uh, be rebuilt. So please keep those special conference meetings in mind. Friday the 23rd of September, four o'clock in the afternoon and seven o'clock in uh, the evening. Just for a few moments, I'd like to make some chairman's remarks. I'd like to base those remarks on Matthew 24 and the verse 42. In that place, The Savior said, "Uh, Watch, therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord uh, doth come. I'd like you to think of the question, what should we do about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? To many people, the answer to that question is uh, nothing. There's nothing that we can do, and there's nothing that we should do. I want to emphasize, men and women, that that is wrong to think like that as a Christian. And that certainly is not the teaching of the Word of God. There are a number of things that are taught in the Scriptures that we as God's people should do about the second coming of the Savior. I want to just highlight one of those uh, for you. Uh, It'll be a good introduction, even for the message that will come a little later in the broadcast. Can I emphasize to you that as God's people we should watch for the second coming of the Saviour. That's something that's exhorted over and over in the Word of God. Think of the words that we've read, Matthew 24, verse 42. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Remember, we're also told that very well known verse, often quoted, about the second coming of Christ, Titus two thirteen. We're looking for that blessed hope. So, brethren and sisters, we're to watch as believers, as God's people, we're to look for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we watch for his return not by gazing up into the sky. Do you remember what was said to the the angels, uh, or said by the angels, uh, "'Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven?' We're not to watch the sky, men and women. We're to watch for the signs of the second coming of uh, the Savior. In Matthew 24, the disciples ask the question, What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the age? And I stress to you, there are signs, there are very clear indicators that the coming of the Lord Jesus uh, draweth nigh. You think of the days of Lot. The Lord Jesus foretold the days of Lot, the days of Sodom, would come again upon the earth. The Lord Jesus foretold that the days of Noah would come again, those wicked days. And we see that evident, men and women, all around us. Some of the other signs, there's the temple in Jerusalem is to be rebuilt, the Great Tribulation period. We'll hear a little more about that in the message later. The establishing of the ten kingdoms of the Roman earth, uh, Babylon, uh, literal Babylon, is to be rebuilt. Those are some of the signs, the indicators, that the Lord's uh, second coming is approaching. And the result of watching the signs is that we will know uh, that his coming is drawing near, that his coming is approaching. Uh, Let me remind you, we're told in the Word of God, both by Peter and Paul, that his coming is like a thief. The idea of that, the coming like a thief, is he will come unexpectedly, but not to the Christian. The Lord Jesus will not or should not come unexpectedly to the child of God. Paul said to the Thessalonian believers, but ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. So we're not... Uh, to be those who are in that category. The coming of Christ should not come unexpectedly to the child of God. Why is that? Well, because we're watching uh, the signs uh, of His coming. So, what that means is you need to study the second coming of Christ. Uh, There is an idea abroad, even in church circles today, that we shouldn't study prophecy. We shouldn't study too closely Uh, the details of the second coming of Christ. How sad that is. There are some who would discourage you from it. Remember, this is a fundamental of the Christian faith. And, brethren and sisters, if we're going to watch—and remember, the Bible exhorts us to do that—if we're going to watch for the return of Christ, then we need to study. We need to know what to watch for. We need to know what to look for. We need to know Bible prophecy. Peter said, We have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto we do well that we take heed. This is something God wants us to pay attention to. He wants us to take heed to. The book of the Revelation opens with the words, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the word of this prophecy. There's a special blessing to the reading and the studying of the book of the Revelation, and by extension, there's a special blessing for those who study what the Bible has to say as a whole about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's one of the things that the SJT seeks to do, men and women. That's one of the reasons why we hold these series of meetings every year. It's one of the reasons why we hold these monthly meetings, produce these broadcasts. It's because we're trying to encourage people in their study of Bible prophecy. We want to encourage people to know what to watch for what, what to look for as far as the signs of, re- of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is concerned. And that's one of the purposes particularly of this series in which we're engaged at present, Where Are We in God's Calendar. So, pray these few remarks will be of help and blessing to you uh, today. The speaker at the meeting this evening is the Reverend Ivan Foster, from Kilskerry, in Northern Ireland. The Reverend Foster has had a long association with the Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony, and he is one of our trustees. He has been a regular speaker at these meetings now for many years. Uh, we do appreciate him taking time to prepare and to record uh, his message. His messages in the past have always been of great help and profit to us. Do keep him in your prayers, that the Lord will keep him in health and strength. Remember, Mrs. Foster also, that the Lord will keep his good hand upon her uh, as well. Uh, just to remind you that the subject that the Lord's servant will be taking up this evening will be, uh, will the church go through uh, the Great Tribulation? Uh, that's uh, a very relevant uh, subject. We pray the Lord will bless uh, the ministry, bless the study of his word, as we come to consider that subject, as our brother comes uh, to minister upon it. Can I highlight for you just some publications that are in keeping with uh, the theme this evening? Uh, One is Reasons Why the Great Tribulation Must Precede, the Church's Translation, uh, by James Kyle uh, Paisley. Uh, This was a message that was preached at a Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony conference in Highgate Road Chapel in London, Way back in 1947. So that was 70 years or 75 years uh, ago in uh, April uh, of this year. So it's a very helpful, very useful message. Uh, many have been blessed and many have been helped and profited from it. So we want to commend that to you. Uh, also, Tribulation or Rapture Witch by Dr. Oswald J. Smith. Remember, he was uh, the, the pastor of the famous People's Church in Toronto. Uh, in Canada. In this uh, message, he tells his own story of how he came to understand that the rapture was a mistake. And he also mentions in uh, this message some books, many of them out of print, many of them hard to get today, but books that were of great help uh, to him in giving him a clear, un- a clear understanding of what the Word of God said uh, on uh, this subject. So, both of these are available from the SJT bookstore. They're they're both priced at 20 pence uh, each, plus postage uh, and package. Also, just to mention uh, a message by the Reverend Foster on which this series of messages was based. Uh, It's the message, Where Are We in God's Calendar? That's our overall theme uh, for this series this year. That message was put into print, and uh, copies are available Uh, Also, please contact our secretary, Mr. Toms, if you'd like a copy uh, or copies uh, of uh, the message or uh, any of these uh, very helpful publications. Just before Mr. Foster brings his message, uh, we're going to sing again. It's the words of the hymn, Take the World, Uh, But Give Me Jesus.
1: I'd like to welcome everyone to our video broadcast. It's my privilege to bring the Word of God this evening. You've already been welcomed by the chairman, I'm sure, and I want to add my words of welcome as well. My subject given to me to deal with this evening is will the church go through the Great Tribulation? Now, before we go any further, I'd like to read some verses from God's Word. And they're found in 1 Thessalonians and the chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, and the verse 13, where Paul directs some very clear teaching to the people in the church at Thessalonica. He says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Sad to say, it's very obvious from these words that even in the first century, there was ignorance regarding the second coming of Christ. And that subject was very much on the minds of all of God's servants, and you can see that in their writings So there was an ignorance, and there was a need for teaching, and things haven't changed. We need to be taught about the second coming. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God Bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, here's Paul's authority, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel. And with the trump of God. And I want you to notice there's going to be a lot of noise when the Lord returns. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Let's just have a little word of prayer. I can never preach without engaging in a word of prayer. So just let's have a wee wee word of prayer, please. O God, our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word on this most vital of subjects. We're not groping in the dark, Lord. But rather, we have before us God's revelation concerning the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would ask thee, O God, that you would just bless our meditations this evening for Jesus' sake, filling me with the Holy Ghost that I might be enabled to preach on this subject as it ought to be preached upon, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. So, as I've already said, my subject is, Will the Church Go Through the Great Tribulation? Such a subject is one that I cannot deal with it faithfully and honestly and fully without upsetting some of God's dear saints. I will endeavor to take great care to do my best to avoid that. I will not be setting forth my view or any other man's view. I may call on men to support what it is I'm saying, but essentially I will be setting out what the Bible teaches on this matter. Those of you who are familiar with God's Word will know that it's no new thing that the truth of God upsets even some of God's people when it is preached. Let me just make some initial points on that particular theme before we come to the very heart of our subject. Even the Lord Jesus agitated many When he spoke the truth and everything he said, as you know, was utterly and eternally true. But even so, there were those vexed and grieved by what he said. Listen while I read just a couple of verses. John chapter 7. In the verse 40, many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was division among the people because of him. Division caused by Christ. Then again, chapter 9 of John, the verse 15. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. This was the blind man healed. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes. I washed and see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was division among them. We could look at John chapter 10 and the verses 16 to 21. And there again, you'll find that little phrase, there was division. So the Lord Jesus, gentle, kindly, Patient, loving, in his preaching, in his labors and ministry, divided people. There was division. It wasn't his fault. It was the fault of those who refused to believe what it was he was saying, but there was division. But it was not just the opponents of the Lord Jesus that took offence. And amongst whom there was division, because even his disciples found that what he said caused division amongst them. John chapter 6 to verse 66, a very well-known verse. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. So even among those who were termed disciples, the teaching of Christ was not always acceptable. Now I know we could look at the use of that term disciple in this context and perhaps question whether those who turned their back on the Lord were indeed true disciples. But undoubtedly there were true disciples who found fault with the Lord and his teaching at times. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time forth, Jesus began to show unto his disciples. This was the little band that followed him. How that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed And be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. I always find that amazing. He began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offence unto me, For thou savourest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Let me give you the reference again, Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 to 23. Peter, and I'm sure among the other disciples, there was sympathy with what Peter was saying. Division amongst God's own people. The truth concerning the sufferings and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus was very much disputed I may even say rejected by the disciples, the very apostles themselves again I remind you of another famous portion Matthew or sorry Luke chapter twenty four the verses 25 and 26 The two on the road to a Emmaus Then said he unto them O fools And slow of heart to believe All that the prophets have spoken Ought not Christ to have Suffered these things And to enter into his glory That's a strong word of rebuke Brought about by the unbelief of two dear disciples. So I tell you there was division. And here I am de- dealing with a subject. And I will be as gentle as I can. But it's a subject that will cause me to say things that run contrary to what many people perhaps have long believed and fervently believed concerning what we might call the secret Rapture. Let me start with my first main point, which is the teaching that the people of God will be secretly raptured away before the days of that tribulation referred to by the Saviour in Matthew chapter twenty four and the verse twenty one was born of J. N. Darby's teachings. I emphasize that. Many do not know or perhaps care not to think about that there never was any notion of such an event as a secret rapture amongst the people of God since Adam until the views of J.N. Darby were published as part of his teaching on dispensationalism. His views on this subject split the early Brethren movement in Plymouth. He was answered by a godly man who many of us admire greatly, Benjamin Will Newton. But J.N. Darby chose not to really reply to Benjamin Wills Newton. That is, reply reply directly to what it was he said in response to Darby's teaching on a secret rapture. No, he didn't answer. Nor, I think I'm correct in saying, have any of Darby's supporters ever in subsequent years taken up and answered what it was Benjamin Wills Newton said in response to his teaching on the secret rapture. However, while I greatly admire Benjamin Wills Newton and, and I would commend his writings to everyone, the matter is not going to be settled by what men believe, and by what men have taught, but by what the Word of God teaches us. By far, the most important boost for Darby's teaching came from the Schofield reference Bible, where alongside the text of Holy Scripture, there was placed comments And as gently as I can say it, it reminds me of Romanism. Because Romanism says to its adherents, Here's your Bible, read your Bible, but come to us for the meaning of what these words teach. And and that's what the Schofield Bible basically does. It became a standard for fundamentalist, Bible-believing Christians in the early 20th century, especially those in the United States of America. And as a result, the views of Schofield, which were the views of J.N. Darby, regarding the second coming of Christ and the secret rapture, uh, were spread abroad throughout the fundamentalist camp. Many good men have been heard to say, in fact it was drawn to my attention, oh it's probably a few months ago now, but it was drawn to my attention that a very well known and and well beloved preacher here in Ulster once asked the question, how can anyone believe that our Lord will let the horrors of the great tribulation loose on his bride. Now, humanly speaking, that would appear to be a very correct and reasonable and proper conclusion. But it's not what the Bible teaches. And I hope I can set that out clearly tonight. I am a, I, I'm at a loss to know how we are to interpret The experiences of the millions of saints who have suffered cruelly throughout the ages at the hands of wicked men since the fall of Adam. If this notion is true, did the Lord not love them? Did he allow them to go through tribulation because he didn't care for them in the same way he cares for the New Testament saints? I don't think that is so. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and the verse 21, those famous words, For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Now, First of all, I believe that I may safely and reverently say that this time of great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, known or ever shall be, will not be greater in character or distress from that which has been suffered by the saints of God on many occasions, since the days of Adam. What I believe is that the great tribulation will be greater in extent and scope and objective. But in truth, the degree of suffering endured by those who will pass through it is really not greater than that which has been already experienced by the saints of God on many occasions in the past. Let me explain a little further. Shortly after the dawn of time, persecution against believers began and has been ongoing ever since. There were times that it raged more fiercely than at other times. The trials of the Jews in times of distress. During AD 70, when the city of Jerusalem and the temple of Jerusalem uh, were destroyed by the Roman army. Those times are known as times of great suffering. But what is perhaps not so clearly detailed in history uh, was the case in later times of affliction. Under some of the Caesars, the suffering inflicted upon Christians were horrific. Christian leaders, as well as those who did not hold any office, were regularly martyred. Often, most hideously. From the era of Nero, there. Comes down to us a term which is commonly used during fireworks displays. And our friends in England will know something of the annual Guy Fawkes evening and the fireworks that are lit on that occasion. The term I'm referring to is that of one of the fireworks very well known, a Roman candle. Now that term has its origins in the days when the most unspeakably cruel persecution was directed against Christians. The Roman candle was originally a torture mechanism whereby Christians were set ablaze for the amusement of the Emperor Nero. In the year 64 AD, the great fire of Rome devastated large parts of the imperial city. And blame was placed upon a number of religious minorities of course including Christians. Among the alleged cruelties bestowed upon these religious minorities was the so-called Roman candle. Human beings were taken and they were made into candles. They were tied to stakes in the imperial garden for the amusement of the deranged and mad emperor. Those treated so cruelly were coated in pitch and oil and other flammable substances before being set alight. The ultimately fatal fires were started from the feet in order to prolong the sufferings of those so condemned. It has been suggested, though I have to say there is no great degree of corroboration for this, but it has been suggested that these candles were used as decorations during formal parties and dinners and feasts held by Nero, nevertheless, the ancient Roman candles signified the most or should I say the first organized persecutions of Christians under the Romans. Just think of what it is I've said. Now I ask, can any individual suffer any greater degree of pain than that which was suffered? By those saints, and by many other saints on many other occasions. Can greater affliction be endured than that of being eaten alive by wild animals? These and many other dreadful deaths have been faced by the people of God under the cruel hands of devil-inspired men. Paul the Apostle clearly illustrates this truth. Let me read to you from Hebrews. "And And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging, Yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better things for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. That's Hebrews chapter 11, verses 36 to 40. Now, think of some of the persecutions and the sufferings that are named here. And I ask you, can there be any greater suffering? Can there be any greater tribulation? Therefore, when the Savior speaks of great tribulation I believe that he means that there will be greater in its objective and its extent. In Psalm 74 there is a prophecy of the tribulation and suffering that the Jews in particular will face at the end of this age. If you turn up the commentators you will see that they vie with each other to Identify just what time in Israel's history the psalm relates to. Well, I believe uh, that the words of that psalm uh, refer to a prophecy of the final attack upon the Jews by the Antichrist and his forces. Jerusalem is to be the location of the core of antichrist's rage against the jews and against all who love the lord jesus this the savior makes clear in matthew chapter 24 the verses 15 to 21 when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by daniel the prophet stand in the holy place who so readeth let him understand then let them which be in judea flee Nor ever shall be. Now that indicates that Jerusalem and Judea is to be the very core and seat of this tribulation, though it will spread throughout the whole territories ruled over by Antichrist. Psalm seventy four reveals the objective of these persecutors. Look at verse eight of that Psalm if you care to look it up. They said in their hearts, "Let us destroy them together." They have burned up all the synagogues of God in the land. So there's a concentration in wiping out that any anything that is a reminder of Jehovah and his truth. Then again, verse nineteen. And again, O deliver not the soul of thy turtle dove unto the multitude of the wicked. Forget not the congregation of the poor forever. I would like to take time to read all of the Psalm 83 but I'm not going to for it would cause me to overrun my time quite a bit. Psalm 83 is a Psalm by Asaph. And as with Psalm 74, it explicitly details the latter-day hatred that's directed (coughs) against the Jewish people. And if you read down through that Psalm, verses 1 to 18, you will see mentioned various nations, Edom, the Ishmaelites, the Hagarines, the Jebal, Ammon, Amalek, Philistines, Tyre, Asher, children of Lot, etc. And these are the very nations which at present are around Israel and have already for a long, long time shown their animosity. They are the ones who shall be gathered together against uh, Israel and it is at their hands that the persecution and the hatred of Antichrist will be carried out. But please note verse 4. It says, Come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. That's, That's the extent of the persecution that will take place during the Great Tribulation. Now Hitler tried to exterminate The Jewish people within Jerusalem and the lands he conquered. However, we know that tens of thousands of Jews escaped his evil plans. Even though he most wickedly slaughtered six million of God's ancient people. This Psalm deals, this Psalm 83 deals with a very determined attempt in the last days during the period of the Great Tribulation. To wipe out entirely the nation. It's utter destruction that is planned. Something much more evilly ambitious than even those of Hitler's wickedness. The evil desires to destroy Israel and everyone who names the name of the Lord is not a new thing. Brethren and sisters, the essence of Satan's hatred against the people who bear the name of the Lord was seen by the desire there was in Pharaoh's heart. Exodus chapter 1 verse 10, Come and let us deal wisely with them, lest they be they multiply, and it come to pass that when they fall out, any when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us and so get them up out of the land. And you know what his answer to that was destruction. And it was seen also in the wicked plan of Haman in the days of Esther. And Haman said unto king Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad, dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom. Their laws are diverse from all people, neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. And that has ever been the ambition of wicked men, urged on by the devil. That is found, by the way, in Esther chapter 3, in the verses 8 and 9. Now, in both these and many other instances of the hatred that has been directed against the Jew, the schemes fail because God preserved his people. Just in my Bible reading, uh, yesterday I think it was, I came on this verse in the book of Isaiah, and it's Isaiah the chapter 63, and it's the verse 9, Isaiah 63 verse 9, in all their afflictions, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them. And he bare them. And carried them all the days of old. Affliction is not new. But out of affliction God has always delivered his people. Delivered his people. The great tribulation is in essence no different from all the other trials that have preceded it in the experience of the people of God. And in them he has wrought his purpose, preserved his people exalted his name. In the last days the Lord will use the cruel persecution of Antichrist as a means of humbling the Jewish nation and causing them to turn to himself. Of this, Zechariah the prophet spoke in his book, chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, It shall come to pass, that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die. But the third part shall be left therein and I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and I will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say it is my people and they shall say the Lord is my God. Please consider just what it is we read here. Yes, tribulation has ever been the experience of God's people. And to a very large degree on many, many occasions, God had a purpose in such, to refine, to purify, and to bring forth a remnant to a higher degree of knowledge and understanding. And holiness. The third point under this heading is that we should consider what we read in the Bible regarding God's past dealings with his people in the midst of tribulation because we can learn from that. First of all, Noah. Noah was not removed to heaven, not raptured, when the flood came. But the Lord sheltered and kept him and his family in the very midst of the judgment that fell upon the world. Then again, in the story of Israel and Egypt, the Lord did not deliver the Hebrews out of Egypt until they had been safely kept through the judgments that fell upon that nation. God kept them safe. I love that little portion that tells us uh, that in the area in which they resided, Not even one fly appeared during that particular plague. And that's how it is. God is able to keep his people in the midst of the greatest troubles that may break out amidst them. The Lord Jesus said, These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Think of that. But be of good cheer. Ah, even in the midst of tribulation we can be happy and cheerful. I have overcome the world. John 16 verse 33. Again, Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. Fear none of those things. Which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death. So it was a tribulation in which involved death for many of them, and I will give thee a crown of life. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, as I said. And both of these passages, the word tribulation is exactly the Greek word which is translated tribulation in Matthew chapter 24 and the verse 21. So the Savior is speaking in Matthew 24 of that which is referred to in John 16 and Revelation 2.10 2, uh, 2, as an experience that God's people need to be aware they will endure on many occasions. What, I say, will come in the end time during that period of the Great Tribulation is nothing new to the experiences of the people of God through which the Lord has brought them victoriously in the past. How can such clear teaching from God's word, statements from the Lord Jesus himself be ignored and the very opposite be embraced, believed? Let me come to the second point. Nowhere is there any reference in the Bible to a twofold coming of Christ, or a secret rapture of the church. Nowhere. Nowhere. The Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 13 taught a number of parables. There was one, the wheat and the tares. And in that parable, he makes something very clear. And I want to emphasize it tonight. In the parable, the servants of the owner of the field asked the question, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? That's the tares. But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say, To the reapers, gather ye together first the tares, and bundle them, or bind them, in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. That's Matthew chapter 13, verses 28 and 30. And I want you to look at it. Because I'm striving, as I say, to set forth what the Bible teaches on this solemn subject. Now we must note these words that the Savior is saying to his disciples. He says, let both grow together until the harvest. And the harvest, if you look down to verse 39, is the end of the age, the end of the world. And in the time of harvest, he says, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares. Now the secret rapture says that it's the saints that are gathered first. But here the Lord Jesus says that when he comes again, he's going to gather the tares first. And then the wheat. Then the wheat. That is something that I have never heard any uh, proponent of the secret rapture explain. Explain. Doesn't it make clear just the plan God has and the schedule that He will follow? Paul the Apostle taught the Thessalonians that which overthrows the notion of a secret rapture. The church at Thessalonica was troubled by false teachings, by deceptions. About the return of Christ that were circulating in those days. Nothing new about false notions concerning the return of Christ. Even in the days of Paul's, they were they were circulating. He says this. We're reading from verse 1 of 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the word means about, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by, or again, about, or concerning, our gathering together unto him. That's what he's talking about. That ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, neither by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except There come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, what the Saviour tells us in Matthew 24, and which Paul refers to here, is that which marks the beginning of the Great Tribulation. Antichrist manifesting himself, showing himself that he is God, or declaring himself that he is God. Showing himself to the world and claiming his deity. But that will come before. The saints of God are gathered unto Christ, says Paul. We beseech you, brethren, about... The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and about are gathering together unto him that ye be not soon shaken, etc. For that day shall not come, except there is a manifesting of the Antichrist. This is the very opposite to what the teachers of the secret rapture would set forth. Remember that it is clearly stated in God's word that the saints will suffer during the reign of Antichrist. Now please, let me, let me emphasize that. And again, I quote scripture. This is not a notion that we have built ourselves or others who share this same view have built. This is but building a view and an interpretation based upon what the Bible says. Revelation chapter 20, the verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads. Are in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So sharing in Christ's glory. During the millennial reign. For that's what we read about in Revelation 20. Are those who during the period of the great tribulation. (coughs) Suffered martyrdom. Bore truly a witness for the Lord Jesus. And the word of God. And wouldn't worship the peace. Now again, that's the very opposite to what the secret rapture theory would set out. All the saints have been taken to heaven. There's no believers on earth when Antichrist reigns. Yet here are believers who died during the reign of Antichrist were martyred, And they're sharing now in Christ's millennial Glory, I tell you, nowhere in the Bible is the notion of a secret rapture set forth. It was the verses I've just read, or the verse, indeed just verse 4 of Revelation 20, that was used of God to direct my wife's father, the late Charlie Beatty, back in the 1930s, away from the notion of the secret rapture. And it also is the verse which, when he showed it to dear old Pastor James Kyle Paisley, in whose church he was a founding elder, Confirmed the pastor in his growing realization of the error of the notion of a secret rapture. Thenceforth, Pastor Paisley continue, continually preached against the error of the secret rapture. Indeed, a leaflet containing a message on the subject uh, that he preached at a, a Sovereign Grace Advent testimony. Meeting uh, can be obtained from Mr. Stephen Toms, or indeed from me if you so request. The final verses that I would set before you in this point may be found in Isaiah chapter 43 in the verse 12. And remember what it is I'm setting out. I'm trying to show you that It has ever been the experience of the people of God that they have encountered tribulation, great tribulation. But God has brought them through. He didn't spare them, but he saved them by bringing them through or taking them to glory during it. Listen to Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 and 2. But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, For I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Now please notice. That the Lord in offering these words of reassurance and comfort. And consolation. Telling his people that he would not allow tribulation to destroy them. He does not say. You'll never pass through rivers. You'll never uh, pass through waters. You'll never pass through fire. He doesn't say that. God's people have ever been subjected to tribulation and it's wrong to put forth the notion that they will be delivered during the Great Tribulation by a secret rapture of which there's no mention in the Bible. Matthew Henry and I could quote a quite a lengthy statement he has set forth on this passage in Isaiah forty three and also the great Baptist preacher, Dr. John Gill, they indicate both of them. That yes, tribulation's common to God's people. It has ever been their experience. God has been pleased to allow them to pass through rivers and water and, and fire. But out of them all he has delivered those that he is providentially and mercifully allowed to be subjected to it. John Gill, in his comments, refers to Romans chapter eight, the verses thirty-five and thirty to thirty-nine. Let me let me just read it: "Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation?" That's the first trial mentioned. And it's the same word as Matthew 24, 21. Tribulation. It's going to be something Christians experience. But it will not separate them from Christ. The verse goes on, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Those are the experiences that God sends By the multitude that pass through. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. That's tribulation. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. That's tribulation. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him that loved us. Yes, he loves us. And he allows us to pass through tribulation for our good. For our good. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God will still surround us even in the midst of the tribulations mentioned here. That's what Paul is clearly saying in these verses. The Lord in love allows his people to pass victoriously through tribulation. I'll close with this one further thought. In all this, the Lord seeks to glorify his great name. That's why he permits this. That's why he permits this. Nothing glorifies the Lord as does his people triumphantly. Enduring affliction and persecution joyfully. Psalm 106, the verses 7 and 8. Our fathers understood not the wonders of Egypt. They remember not the multitude of thy miracles, the multitude of thy mercies, I should say, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his namesake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. I could find many other scriptures That set forth this truth. I was thinking the other day. As I read the early chapters of Joshua. Of the harlot of Jericho. Who said we have heard. What God did for thee. At the Red Sea. (laughs) Israel might not have noted it as she should have. But the nations even the heathens. Recognize the greatness of God. And that's that's how God magnifies his name oftentimes. He allows you and me to suffer and endure. C.H. Spurgeon was a man who all his days had very poor health. He died a young man, 56 I think. We might well ask, why did the Lord allow Such a godly man to suffer so for the glory of his name. For the glory of his name. Because in this weakly human body, God manifested his power and his grace. That man oftentimes had to virtually crawl to the pulpit in weakness, and yet by the grace of God, preached. The Gospel to the Saving of Multitudes. That brought glory to God, not to C. H. each And that's why God permits his people to pass through troubles. There can be no comfort, I might say, to be found in a false notion of a secret rapture. What are Christians today to think? Those who today are suffering persecution, we know very little of it. We hear reports of India, Pakistan, out there in China, and in many of the Muslim lands, the suffering, but it's only vague reports. In comparison to the reality of it. What are the Christians there to think? When somebody speaks of a secret rapture that will save God's people suffering tribulation. Are they not inclined? Surely tempted to say. Well why? Are we subjected to tribulation? Even unto death. Why does God not do what you say he's going to do in the future? Why does he not do that for us today? You know, there's no comfort in a false notion of a secret rapture. But rather, there is comfort and understanding to be gained from studying God's word and learning that God allows his people to pass through trouble, through fire, even as the goldsmith puts the precious metal in the fire to refine it, to purify it. So it is with God. Now while there's no comfort to be found in a falsehood, there is joy and peace to be found when we see the purpose of God at work to the confusion of his enemies by bringing his people triumphantly through the worst that the devil can devise to destroy them. Daniel chapter 3 verses 23 to 30 chapter 6 16 to 28 in the experiences of the three Hebrews and Daniel himself There is the picture of this truth. The triumph we are referring to. As it was the purpose of Christ to snatch the dying thief from the very jaws of hell. So it has often been God's glorious purpose to deliver his people from what appears to be certain destruction. And that at the very last minute. Thus multiplying the frustration and disappointment and the vexation and displeasure of his enemies. I've often thought that part of the devil's eternal sufferings is the frustration of how often he came close to what he thought was victory. It was within his grasp He thought, but God in his sovereign power overthrew at the last moment. The devil schemes. Oh, how that will grieve and vex and torment the devil throughout eternity. It has ever been the case throughout the ages, as I've said. What the Lord brought Job through has shown the victory of his grace and the life of a true child of God. In the midst of his trials, he set forth his power to preserve his beloved in the midst of all that the devil could throw at him. In conclusion, I might just say I believe personally that there is a dwindling adherence to J.N. Darby's foolish error. Even amongst the ranks of the Brethren movement from whence it first emerged. What is happening today is clearly perceived by many believers in the secret rapture to be the very things that they were led to believe would only happen after the secret rapture had taken place. Events in the world today, they were to be after the secret rapture, yet here they are taking place. There was a growing conviction, and this illustrates what I'm saying, a growing conviction and confidence amongst many pastors who held to darbyism that the Lord would return for his people very soon after the rise and triumphs of Hitler. The German dictator and his cruel persecution of the Jews fitted in with the theory that the secret rapture was about to take place. But, of course, that notion was proved very wrong. And it was proved wrong many years ago. Many years ago. Seventy years ago and more. And I believe that it was the means of undermining the confidence of many dear Christians... In the doctrine of the secret rapture. The Christian should. Even as the Saviour. Instructed us. Watch. The events taking place. And examine them in the light. Of God's word. Rather than pinning our hopes. On notions. That are born of men's. Speculation. I hope, at least to some degree, we have set before you proof from God's Word that there is no secret rapture, but rather the Lord will keep His people through whatever tribulation and persecution comes upon His people before His return. May the Lord bless His Word to you all. God bless you, and good night.
0: We take the opportunity just to thank Mr. Foster for his message uh, this evening. We thank him uh, very much for the time that was put into the study, the preparation of the message, uh, the delivery of it, uh, the recording of it for the broadcast this evening. We want to assure him that we appreciate his ministry, that it has been of uh, great help, a great blessing to us, And we know that that will be true of all that have heard it. We ask you to make uh, the broadcast known. Uh, Another one of the benefits of the broadcast is that uh, the meeting can be shared. Uh, Others that haven't been able to join us uh, for the live broadcast tonight, uh, they can benefit from it uh, in time to come. So do please make the broadcast known. Uh, There's means by which you can share and forward these on. Uh, to others that you believe would profit uh, from them. So we want to encourage you to do that. We want to encourage you to help us. We would value your help just in as wide a circulation as possible uh, of all of these meetings and all of uh, these messages. The closing hymn uh, this evening uh, emphasizes the theme of the return of Christ. The Lord is coming by and by. Be ready uh, when he comes. And remember, there's a challenge there to the believer as well as to uh, the unbeliever. We we want to be ready uh, for the coming. There's an old sermon title, uh, caught up or caught on. We do want to be caught on by careless uh, living, even as uh, God's people. So the Lord is coming by and by. Be ready uh, when he comes. Let's uh, sing these verses together, please. Going to bow together in prayer, ask the Lord's blessing upon all that has taken place, and we'll commit ourselves into His hands as well. Father, we bow again in prayer, uh, thankful for the opportunity uh, to be able to seek Your face. We thank You for bringing us together around the Word of God. We thank You, Father, for the light of Scripture. We live in a dark world. We live, Father, in a world that is getting darker day by day and week by week. Your word forewarned and foretold us that evil men and seducers would wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Your word told us that we would come to that day, that time when men's hearts would fail them for fear of those things that are coming upon the earth. We're conscious, Father, that we live in such days. And we ask just for your grace, Father, however difficult the days may be, however great the persecution. We pray for your grace uh, to remain faithful uh, to Christ. We we long, and it's our burden, to hear those words from the lips of our Savior, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thank you for our brother that has ministered tonight. Keep your hand upon him and his dear wife. We commit them to thee. Bless the word of God, you've assured us. It'll not return unto you void, but it'll prosper in the thing whereto you've sent it. Lord, use your word greatly, Uh, we ask of thee. Continue to use these meetings. We pray, Father, in advance tonight for the autumn conference as well. The preparations been made, those who are preparing uh, the messages that will be brought at that time. So hear our cries. We just ask now, part us in thy fear and with thy favor, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with us all.